says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Father, we humble ourselves before you and the authority of your word and just ask now as we continue in this time of worship that this could be an act of worship like everything else we've done thus far. We humbly submit our hearts, our souls, our minds, our spirits to the truth of your word now and we ask that you would help us to have attentive hearts, that we'd have an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church through this particular portion of your word as we open it and look at it together this morning. Lord, as always, we don't want to hear wiser persuasive words of a man but we want to experience that demonstration of your spirit and power as he speaks to our hearts in a personal way so we ask holy spirit speak to us that which you'd have us to hear from your word this morning and help us to respond to what you would say to us and we ask this believing you want to and will in jesus name and everyone said amen amen you may be seated Do you want to ensure in your life right now this morning that you would do what is right? That you would actually experience a blessed life? I think one of the most helpful things to ensure that, if that's your agenda and your desire, I would say this, be very selective in who you listen to. If you want to ensure you do what's right, if you want to ensure you have a blessed life, be very selective in who you listen to. Now, be careful. When I say that, I'm not just talking about who and what you hear alone, because I have found as well as you have that there's a certain amount of what we hear that quite honestly, we don't have total control over restricting and minimizing. As much as I would like to silence certain voices There are always going to be many voices that are going on around us, among us in the world. To be very honest, there are more than one voice on occasion I hear in my head that I wish I didn't hear going on on the inside. So I'm not just talking about what you hear alone. I'm talking about who we actually listen to. And who we listen to or what we listen to honestly is a bit more substantial. When I talk about what we listen to, I'm talking about what are we influenced to then respond to once we do hear it. That is what we do hear, we make a conscious choice to actually follow through with what we're hearing and put into practice what you are hearing. And this passage talks to us this morning about listening to God. And particularly listening to God and the voice of God, which is heard through the word of God. 
because often this is the clearest way we are going to hear what God has to say and therefore responding to what God says to us by actually putting it into practice. In other words, listening to what God says, not just hearing what God says, but actually listening to what God says and putting it into practice and walking it out and living it out. And it's a passage that challenges us not to fall into this unhealthy condition, apparently, that James knows as a fellow Christian we can all fall into, or even someone who's unconverted as well, where perhaps we learn and we agree with what the Bible has to say but yet we then never live out by personal obedience what it actually says. We may listen to it, we may even agree with it or entertain it and give attention to it, but there's a big difference of actually then taking what you hear and listening to it by living it out in your life and responding to it through acts of personal obedience. Now, the recent section we just looked at together in James, he was speaking about being receptive to the word of God particularly the last verse we looked at there in verse 21 where he said to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and he says receive be receptive the idea is with meekness submission to the implanted word which is able to save your souls the idea there is to have a a willingness or a readiness in your heart condition that you are wanting to hear what God says. You have a receptive attitude. Your radar is up, if you would, because you want to tune in and you want to hear what God wants to say to you, that you have a receptive attitude, a teachable spirit before God, wanting to hear what God is saying, a heart that's in a right condition to receive the good seed of the word of God that's properly prepared like good soil, So that when the seed is planted, maximum fruitfulness comes forth. And James says there in verse 21, really that happens by two particular things, by ridding our heart of any sinful attitude or any sinful activity that may be kind of like we might say weeds within our heart condition that would choke out the good fruit that God wants to bring and and would kind of hinder or interrupt God's word from having maximum effect in our lives. We have to weed out continuously attitudes and things that creep into our lives that would, would sort of choke out what God's word wants to do. And then the other thing he mentions there is that we have to have that continual willingness to have a submissive or a meek attitude towards the word of God. The idea there is that we see God's word as the authority over our lives And that God's word will always, because it is what is right and what is true, have an authority over all of our personal thoughts, over every one of our personal feelings, of our perspectives on things, of our desires in any matter of life or any topic or subject. That we would always choose at the end of the day to ask that question that comes up in the book of Galatians, nevertheless, what does the scripture say I may feel this way I may think this way I may have this perspective the world may be saying this but I always say because God's word is the authority nevertheless what does the scripture say and I always have a meek spirit if I'm in right relationship with God that we'd have a receptive attitude to say God but your words what's right at the end of the day That's what the truth is and that we would have that attitude coming to the word of God, submitting our heart to the authority of the scripture, letting it rule over us. And James says, if we do this, that will actually bring salvation, preservation to our soul. 
It's what will save the sinner from going to hell apart from Jesus Christ. And really, it's what also saves and preserves the saint from making really bad choices that bring a lot of pain and regret to our souls because we didn't listen to what God said to us. Well, having spoken about being receptive in our attitude to God's word, as James goes on now in verse 22, he's going to talk to us about now being responsive to God's word. It's one thing to be receptive and to hear it. That's a good start. But we also, James says, need to be responsive to God's word as well. Look with me in the text in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So in verse 22 here, he gives both an instruction and a warning in regards to how we're supposed to relate to the scripture. The instruction is seen at the beginning of verse 22, where he simply says there directly, here's the instruction, that we're to be doers of the word. One translation renders that phrase, do what it says. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Do what it says. That's the idea there. A proper response when we read the Bible or we hear the Bible is that we're first instructed to simply obey what it says, to put it into practice, to follow its instruction, to observe what it declares, to act upon what it asks in all matters, morally and spiritually, that we're to be responsive to it, to make a decision that what truths we learn from God's word, that then by faith and a willing obedience, we would seek to then live those things out. And here's how that works out practically. When we get with God's word, whether it's alone in our personal time of reading the scripture or whether it's sitting in a Bible study or a worship service like this and we're hearing God's word, as God's word reveals things to me, what is right about my attitude or what's right about how I should respond to something in my life or handle some matter or what's right about my behavior or even what's right about my belief, it is then my responsibility to choose to believe accordingly and then to behave accordingly by responding to what God is revealing to me is right, irregardless of anything else going on in my heart, soul, or mind or the world I live in. And please hear me in this. It is an inconsistency when as a Christian we claim to love our Bible and we then don't live by our Bible. We have to be very careful. As people who are lovers of the Bible and we say that we love the Bible, the Bible says let us not love in word and tongue, but in action and in truth. Well, listen, that, that comes to not just loving people. That's how love is to be in everything. And as people say, oh, we love the Bible. I love the word of God. I love Bible study. I love Bible programs. And I understand that I'm a Bible study junkie. I love to listen to the word of God being taught. I love to read my Bible, not just from a pastoral perspective, but from a personal perspective as a Christian first. But if we claim to love the Bible and we don't live by the Bible, there's an inconsistency going on in our lives. We have to always remember the Bible is not just spiritual information to learn. It is spiritual instruction to live by. It's not just spiritual information to learn. It's not all academia. It is spiritual instruction from the breath of God telling us how we're to live. 
It's God saying to us, this is what I desire of you. This is how to be in right relationship with me. This is how to be in right relationship with fellow man and how to live a righteous life. So when the scripture commands me to do something or it commands me not to do something, imagine this, I'm actually supposed to do that. I'm supposed to obey that whether it's to not do something or to do something. If I'm asked to do something, I should follow through in the same way that a a soldier might receive an order from a commanding officer. Well, the Bible says we are to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. So when God speaks to us and gives us an instruction, I'm to say, yes, sir. And by faith and obedience, whether I understand it, whether I like it, whether it's hard, I'm to do it because it's what's right, like an obedient child doing what's asked of the father. Let's put this in a very practical way. Let me read to you one verse from Philippians 2 verse 4. It says this, the Bible says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's one Bible command, one Bible instruction, which means we take that verse, which is saying to us, listen, don't just make decisions or do what you do with consideration only of what you want to do or what would be best for you, or what you would feel like, or what your preference would be. What the Bible's saying is always make every decision in life, small and large, with the attitude of saying, if I do this, how will that affect him? How will that affect her? If I do this among a group of people, what what influence will this have upon them? And that we make decisions in life, we seek to live in a way whereby we're taking into consideration other people. Our culture knows very little of that anymore. Our culture knows very little of of being what used to be called considerate. Manners 101. And the Bible tells us as a Christian that we should not just look out for our own interests. It's okay. I'm not saying we have to be irresponsible and be self-martyrs. It's it's not talking about hyper-spirits. The Bible says look out not only for your own interests but also for the interests of others. The idea is that we're always taken into consideration if I'm making a decision, well, well, what's in the best interest of other people? And sometimes actually going so far in the love of Christ and self-denial to say, you know what, I'm going to actually say no to myself because out of consideration for the rest of the family or my spouse or my parents or my children or my other co-workers or other Christians, I'm going to say no to myself in this moment out of consideration for what would be best for them or what their preference may be in some way. So again, the Bible gives us these instructions and we're then to implement them, to walk them out, to personally apply them in our lives. Now listen, obviously, none of us has a perfect batting average when it comes to obeying the Bible. Welcome to the club. We're always going to fail and fall short, but that's never an excuse for me to consciously disregard when I do know what the Bible says about something. And we have to be careful there. We're never going to bat perfect average and trying to obey, but I need to be careful. I never make concessions and consciously disregard in situations when I know what the Bible does say about something. And sometimes as Christians, we, we, we have to be careful there. We know very clearly the Bible talks to us about forgiveness or communication or, or, and just, well, you don't understand what they did to me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I understand it's hard. Nobody said obeying the Bible was going to be easy. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, because it's supernatural. (laughs) 
But the same Holy Spirit who wrote the word of God, giving us the instruction of scripture, is the same Holy Spirit who also lives inside of us to obey the word of God, to empower us to live these things out. And if we seek to honor the Lord, he will help us. Good question to ask yourself this morning. Perhaps you're faithful in reading your Bible, but are you still being faithful in obeying your Bible? Because there is a vast difference there. When we read our Bible each day, we should ask God to speak to us, be responsive, apply it personally, however, but actually do what it says. Walk away saying, Lord, how can I live this out this day? How can I walk these things out and what's going on in my life right now or in this week ahead? And when we hear a teaching from the word of God and we hear the voice of the spirit speaking to us from the scripture, we need to learn to be responsive to what God's saying then to us in the teaching. A way of thinking of that may simply be this. It's not enough just to listen to the lecture. We got to do the lab work to be doers of the word. If you just listen to the lecture and then we never willing to engage in the lab work of actually living out these things, he says we're in a sense missing the whole point. Subtly, he even says James here beginning to deceive ourselves. And to the extent that we are doers of the word and obey that instruction, it will benefit our lives. You may want to jot your notes what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, talking about stability of obedience to the word. The, the blessing it brings of a good foundation to build a good life. Listen to Jesus' statements and the particular distinction he draws. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Do you hear the subtle distinction there? One hears my sayings, Jesus says, and does them. The other hears my sayings and does not do them. The only distinction Jesus makes between a stable life that will weather the storms that come against every life and have a good solid foundation and a stability is one person hears and listens and lives it out. The other person hears the same information, all the same truths, and they listen to it, but they never implement it. They never put it into practice. This is the first set of verses I share with couples when I do premarital counseling. Because I say, you want to build a life together, right? You want to build a home together? Before we talk anything about marriage, here's the bottom line. If I share things with you the next three, four, five weeks in a row, and you never implement these things in your marriage... It's going to be a waste. Of th- you can sit here and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We just want to get married, please. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Yeah, please. Can we get married soon? And that's what happens, right? But if you don't take these things and implement them, your marriage is going to be shaky. And you're going to have challenges and struggles. So it's the first thing I tell them. Look, this is the first verse. We understand this. Then we can do premarital counseling because then things will begin to be built on a better condition. So he gives the instruction, be a doer of the word. And the warning is the end of verse 22, where he says, if you don't do this, be careful. If you're just a hearer only, he says, you're potentially deceiving yourselves if you're only hearing. And again, that is the danger. Sometimes we can merely just give attention to what God's word has to say, perhaps out of courtesy to God, sometimes out of just curiosity. I wonder what the Bible does say about that. And we have a curiosity to hear what the Bible says or we want to be maybe courteous. And it's possible, I found, to even respectfully entertain the voice of God but then never act upon what God's saying. The unconverted person does that as they hear the gospel. 
They sense conviction of sin. They hear the truth about how to get saved and go to heaven and, and what God asks of a person to be in right relationship. And they hear the voice of the Lord. But if they say no and don't respond in faith to receive Jesus, they've entertained God's voice, but they've chosen in a sense, to deceive themselves, to think it's okay to not listen and respond to what God's saying. And as Christians, we have to be careful that we're not listening to sermons or reading our Bibles as a form of just religious devotion. You know, because that's the right thing. Christians are supposed to read their Bibles. They're supposed to listen to sermons. Well, well, right, but we're also supposed to live out what God's showing us. And we have to be careful. We're not just hearing what God's saying, politely listening but we have to be willing to learn the truth and live it out. And sometimes people can hear and read the Bible. I've sat in Bible studies before and you're stirred, but then you're not changed. You hear the truth, but you only hear it. And as you hear the truth, maybe you, in a sense, you like the ideas, you like the information, but then you just never take the next step to follow and live out the instruction. And that's an important thing because James says here what he's saying to do this, don't miss what he says, is actually deceiving ourselves, he says, about our spiritual condition. It's really a form of self-deception. That term deceiving yourself in the Greek means to cheat yourself by false reasoning. So when I hear the truth of God's word or read the truth of God's word and I don't observe it, James says I'm cheating myself because I, I, by false reasoning, I have a wrong perspective of my spiritual condition that I don't need to respond to it somehow. And so important for us, again, that we realize the Bible is not for academic experience. It is for life change. It's to direct my life. It's to guide and, and, and lead my life, to tell me how to live to please God and be in right relationship with God and man. The psalmist says, Psalm 119, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. And, and what the Bible is showing us here as we see going forward that in spiritual life, apparently it is possible to be self-deceived. He says in verse 22 and then continues with it going onward in the remainder of the chapter that it is possible, he says, deceiving ourselves. So self-deception is a reality. And one of the biggest ways that we can deceive ourselves, listen, is to think it's somehow okay for me to hear what God says and then not obey what God said to me. Remember what Jesus said? He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, what? And do not do the things that I say. And one of the greatest forms of self-deception is to think it's okay to hear what the Lord says, but then not respond and obey to what the Lord is saying to me. And one of the predominant and most clear ways we hear what God says, again, is in the word of God. Let us never ever assume that just because we regularly read our Bible that we're obeying our Bible. And let us never begin to assume that just because we consistently listen to Bible teachings or preachings and, and say amen to it or, or, or agree or are stirred in our spirit that somehow that is enough and we never live things out. I am not automatically spiritual just because I know a lot of information about what the Bible says. That doesn't make me automatically spiritual. That was the problem with the Pharisees, remember? They knew a lot of scripture. 
but they were not living in right relationship or submitted to God. God help us. James is recognizing this is a danger. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on to speak of this self-deception. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he says, verse 23, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So James, wanting to illustrate this self-deception that can happen spiritually, says when we hear the Bible, we don't respond to what it shows us. We miss the whole purpose and intention of what the Bible was given to us for by God to help us, to assist us in our lives. He uses a metaphor here of how a mirror is intended to reveal to a person their true condition. That as a person looks into the mirror, you see your true condition and the idea is so that you can adjust things as needed. You realize things are out of place or something needs to be taken care of. And James says, whenever anyone becomes a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, that's just like, he says, metaphorically, it's just like a person who stands before a mirror and they have a clear reflection of their condition they realize what needs to be addressed. Maybe they you know, see their hairs out of place or their makeup's running down their face or there's some dirt on their face that needs to be cleaned off. And they realize something needs to be addressed, but then they walk away and they never do anything about what was revealed to them that needs to be addressed. And he's saying this is a metaphorical picture of exactly what happens when someone does nothing to personal address was shown to them and revealed to them by the mirror of their true condition he says that's the same thing that can happen if a person from the mirror of the word of god is revealed their true condition what needs to be addressed in their life or adjusted in some way and yet they just in a sense foolishly ignore or disregard it and they just walk away and they never respond to it and they never address it by acting upon it that would really be a negligent way to utilize a mirror and notice here we find another analogy in the bible describing what the scripture is like the bible is referred to as seed it's referred to as you know water that washes us here we have an analogy of the bible that it works like a spiritual mirror it reveals the truth to us and i don't know about you i deeply appreciate this about the bible because the Bible gives me the one voice that tells me what's true about myself. Other people don't always tell me that. I don't always tell myself what's true about myself. <laughs> and that works both ways. Sometimes I think too much of myself. Other times I'm way too critical on myself. But the Bible reveals to us like a mirror our true condition. It exposes things in our lives that need attention to be dealt with or worked on. And as we expose ourselves to its truth, it gives us an honest assessment and it helps us to see what's going on in our heart and in our soul and in our mind. And it allows us to see if something's out of place or if sin has defiled me and needs to be, in a sense, addressed or cleansed from my life. Hebrews 4 talks about how the word of God, that it searches us down to the very attitudes and intents of our heart and reveals things to us. And the purpose of the mirror, of course, and what it reveals is so that we can respond to what it showed to us, that we would then act upon it and to fail to respond is to neglect the help of God's word. So the scripture reveals our condition. And here's the glorious thing about the spiritual mirror of the scripture is it reveals your condition and then it actually helps you resolve your condition. Now, 
you'd make a million bucks if you could invent a physical mirror like that. Imagine looking into a mirror. It reveals the truth about your condition, what you look like, your appearance, your, and then all of a sudden, you, I don't, I don't, man, I'm ugly. No problem. I'm the magical mirror. You look like that now, but now I'm going to fix you and make you attractive. Oh, I'm overweight. That's all right. You don't have to go on a diet. I'm the magical mirror. I reveal to you your condition, and then I resolve your condition for you. But listen, the Bible does that. The Bible reveals your condition and then it's the thing that helps you resolve your condition because it is the living God-breathed word of the Father himself, of the Son himself, of the Spirit himself that is given to us to help bring change. 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and then it says this, it's profitable for doctrine Reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that the man and women of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What God is telling us is because my word is my life breathed into it, a divinely inspired book, first it reproves you. So I read the word of God and it says, Tony, you're, you're off here. And it challenges me and confronts what's not right in my life. But then it says it not only reproves us, but then it actually corrects us. And that term correct in the Greek there in 2 Timothy literally means to take something that's fallen over and to set it back upright in its proper position. So God's word says, here's where you're wrong. And then it says, and here's how you correct it. And as God's word goes into our life because it's a living book, the power of the spirit of God within it works to also strengthen us to walk in the spirit to overcome the very thing that God's word is trying to reveal to us in our life. That's a valuable mirror reveals your condition and also helps resolve your condition well continuing with this idea of it being like a mirror giving revelation he then says in verse 25 look at it but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty like a mirror and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed james says as well in what he does so he describes how the word of god also has benefits to us When we actually, now he says in verse 25, become someone who's a doer of the word. He cautions about being a hearer and not a doer. And then he says, listen, but there are benefits if you begin to respond to the word of God and begin to live it out in a responsive way in your life. He describes how the scripture here in verse 25 is intended to, first of all, liberate us and also to bring blessing into our lives. You look at the language there in verse 25, he's speaking of benefits of being a doer of the work. The idea is yielding to what God wants to work on in our lives. And the first benefit he speaks of in verse 25 is how the truth of God's word, when we respond to it, that it has a liberating effect in our lives. In other words, it's another way of saying it sets us free. It sets us free from stuff. And there's a lot of things that we need to be set free from in our souls. And he says, referring to scripture, if we are continually looking into the law of liberty, continually looking into it, the language there speaks of continuously lingering and looking into something. And he says, as we continue to look into the word of God, we take time to see what it's saying. Listen, not just doctrinally, but also personally for my own life because it's not just an academic experience but reading my Bible in the present tense and saying I understand what that means doctrinally I understand what it meant historically but Lord this is a living book what's it also saying to me personally and I linger 
in the word of God, letting it speak to me those things. The image here of lingering by looking into the word of God, we might say, if we can illustrate, imagine, it's like lingering in front of a mirror. And many people in this room know what it means to linger in front of the mirror. Might be why some of you ran a little late this morning. You were lingering in front of the mirror, right? We all know how to linger in front of a mirror. Why? Because we're concerned with how we appear. And we don't want to be ashamed and we want the approval of other people. So therefore, we linger in front of a mirror to make sure we see everything we need to see and address what we need to address. Well, listen, how much more should we be lingering in front of the mirror of God's word and be concerned about our inward condition to be concerned about having God's approval for my condition, even to a much greater degree than just having people's approval because of my physical condition. Good thing to ask ourselves this morning. How often are we looking into the word of God to check in with God of his evaluation of our lives? And how long, perhaps, are we spending time looking into our Bible to see if God wants to show us something? God help us to linger in our Bibles, to linger in our Bibles, to open the Word of God and to put our face in it and to actually think it's a worthy enough investment to stay there for a little bit and to actually let God have time to reveal to me and show to me things that He wants to reveal to me about my condition, what pleases Him, how to live the way He wants me to live, how to be the man He wants me to be. I assure you, in my life, there is always something out of place. Always something. In the same way, not one human being in this room woke up this morning and looked good. Not one of us. Every day when I get up in the morning, there is always something out of place in my life that God's saying, well, we, we need to... That wasn't good yesterday, son. That attitude. That thing you said at some point or that thing... You, and, 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 and this, we, we need to... And, and every day, God, there are things God wants to reveal to me as he wants to conform us into the image of Christ and reveal to us ways he wants to work in our lives. Isn't it interesting James calls the word of God here in verse 25, look at it, he calls it the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. When we hear the word law, we usually think of something restrictive, right? That's what laws do, they're restrictive, they restrict people. But the Bible is the perfect law of liberty. It's a law of freedom and liberation because spiritual laws, even with boundaries, are intended to liberate us. They're intended to keep us from being enslaved in bondage to unhealthy, life-dominating habits. It's a law of liberty. It's intended to keep us from enslavement. It's intended to keep us from becoming a prisoner to pain and regret and problems in my life and problems in my marriage and problems in my family. It's intended to liberate me so that I don't become a prisoner to problems I create because I live wrong or because I operate in a way that's outside of God's design. It's intended to be a law of liberty to liberate me from mental struggles with anxiety or depression or insecurity. And living a life consistent with Scripture, understand, is never going to hold us back. It's never going to hold you back. It's going to liberate you to experience the life that God wants you to have. It's going to liberate you to be able to experience the freedom of God's best without self-destructive human tendencies overcoming your life 
or the traps of Satan and the snares of this world, it will keep you from enslavement to sin and it also at times will help you and I to be liberated from the things perhaps that begin to control us that are sinful. Jesus said it this way in John 8. He said, if you abide in my word, what's the word abide? Remain. If you remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's a freeing thing, Jesus says. To know the truth is a liberating thing, and as we live every day searching what this book says to us and the divine truth of it, we will experience freedom to the greatest degree. As a Christian, you are the freest person on this planet. Not just because Jesus has set you free, but because you know the truth and you can navigate life with the truth and everything about your life. So he says here, take the time, linger, he says, in the perfect law of liberty. It will, it will give you freedom and liberate you from things that are unhealthy in your life. And then he also says at the end of verse 25, another benefit of God's word is he says, the one who does the word of God, verse 25, will also be blessed in what he does. So the idea there is, is as we obey the scripture and put it into practice, he's saying the blessing and favor of God will be upon a life of someone who lives obedient to the word of God. God is always going to honor when we do what is obedient to his word. So you face a situation in your life and you say, okay, how do I handle this? What do I do? Okay, this is what the word of God says is the right thing to do in this situation. And when you choose to obey what God's word says in that situation, listen to me, you will not lose. Because God will always honor his word. He will always bless obedience to his word. And as you choose to stand in faith and say, I know what I feel or what others are saying, but I'm going to obey the word of God. I'm going to do what's right in the situation and what honors God. He'll bless that. He blesses obedience to his word. Good to ask ourselves, do you want to experience a blessed life? Do you want to have God's blessing and favor on your life? The simple answer honestly becomes discover what the word of God instructs about any area of life, matter, faith, and practice and to the best of your ability and faith by the grace of God, live it out. Walk it out practice that truth and James says this is a promise from God he says that person who obeys the word of God will be blessed in what he does because God will bless obedience to his word well having given that promise there James then sort of with the same idea of avoiding self-deception living responsive to the word he gives a few practical suggestions uh, really in regards to evaluating where we're at in that process here in verse 26 and 27. He says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious, a, a God-fearing person because of what he does, the idea is, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Notice again the language, verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious assumes or supposes because of maybe the religious activity but yet he says you consider yourself spiritual but you don't bridle your own tongue now listen he's not talking about periodically having a slip of the tongue as i said nobody bats 100 percent. we all do that he's talking about a life pattern of somebody who claims and believes they're a spiritual person but seems to have a life pattern of not having any control with their mouth 
And he says they don't bridle their own tongue. The bridle there speaks of the headgear, the reins and the bit that would go on a horse to govern the horse, to restrict it, to hold it back, if you would. It's talking about the ability to restrain our words and speech, to use a measure of self-control, because Galatians 5 says part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And one of the ways, oftentimes, this will manifest itself first and foremost in the life of a person who's submitting to the Word of God is that God will begin to get rule over the speech. And he's warning of someone here who acts or feels spiritual but has a life pattern of always speaking inappropriate things. They're always speaking in perhaps defiled ways or maybe their communication is chronically destructive and they're very hurtful in their speech or they don't know how to restrain things that aren't helpful and they think they're spiritual, but maybe because they think they're spiritual, they're very hypercritical, very judgmental and self-righteous. And he says, such a person, he says, is deceiving their own heart and their religion, he says, from God's perspective is worthless because why? They're misguided about their spiritual maturity. They're misguided about what really matters to God and measuring spirituality by wrong standards because when God's word is reigning over us and God's authority is at work in our lives, one of the primary areas God goes after right away is that thing right there. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can tell a lot about what's going on in our hearts by watching what comes out of our mouths. Proverbs 18 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. So our tongue has the power to instill life and help and heal, or our tongue can be a very destructive thing. So because of that, God seeks to get rulership over our tongue in our speech very quickly in our lives. Ephesians 4.29, try this one on for size this week. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Try to walk that one out this week. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what's good for necessary edification and that when you speak, it would impart grace to people. That would be helpful, edifying. That's quite a challenge, but something, again, God is calling us to as we live out our lives of love for him, trying to walk in his ways. And then James concludes in verse 27 by giving one other side of that. He says, this is worthless spiritual religion. But he says, but pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. So having spoken of a religion that's useless, he says, from God's perspective, he talks about what does matter to God as we're responding to his word, living in right relationship. James says here in verse 27 that it's going to be evidenced in two clear areas of our lives. One in our service and two in our separation from what is wrong and sinful in the world. He says pure and undefiled religion, the idea is that earns the approval and pleasure of God is to have a pure heart in serving people out of love and also to stay undefiled and live separate in the sinful world that we live in. The first thing he mentions in verse 27 there is that we are to be engaged in pure-hearted service. Pure and undefiled religion. So he says, be engaged in pure-hearted forms of service. And he gives an illustration, visit orphans and widows in their trouble, he says. Now, that term orphans and widows, orphans and widows are those without the support and the help of a parent or a spouse. And in the ancient culture, 
These were those who became very, at times, underprivileged. They were the poor, the less fortunate, the needy. And I think in today's day and age, they represent a broad category maybe of people. Those in this world who are lonely and hurting. Those in this world who are vulnerable to certain struggles because of the condition that they're in. Those maybe who are easily taken advantage of, in jeopardy of being mistreated. Those who are abandoned. People who are overlooked. Uh, those who find themselves in hard times or maybe they're too weak to help themselves and they need assistance from others. We might say today in our culture that would be representative of the poor, the elderly, genuine widows, maybe children whose parents are, are, are not too strong and so they don't have parental help in their life or maybe they are without a parent. Single moms. Maybe even children who are in the womb that are in threat of being abandoned and cast aside. That we would take up the causes of such people and want to be engaged to help them in their distress. And notice the Bible doesn't say pray for such. He doesn't say pray for orphans and widows. He says visit them. The idea is get engaged. Practical acts of love. Other translations say look after or care for them. The idea is take steps of practical action to get involved in their lives. And why would we want to do that? Well, very simply, because this is the kind of stuff that matters to God. Because God says, that's the kind of stuff that matters to my heart. This kind of activity, engaging, I want to encourage you, find ways as a form of service to God to serve in these kind of capacities. And do you know why this is pure and undefiled service ministering to these kind of people? Because those kind of people can do nothing in return for you. There's no selfish benefit to it. There are a lot of things we do where we serve. It's a ministry or service that in some way it, it benefits us in the end or has some help in our life or makes it. The reality is that kind of ministry and service, it's based strictly on giving alone. It does nothing of personal benefit or advantage for you. In fact, when you serve in these kind of ways, maybe visit somebody in an elderly home or you know, many times it's a cost to you. It costs your time or you're helping people out or you get involved to help children that have need. It's a cost to you. It's no benefit to you at all, but that's why it's pure and undefiled service because it's strictly about God. I am a selfish human being and it's good medicine for my selfish soul to sometimes just serve people for no other reason than it's what matters to your heart and that it's good for them and it benefits them. So he says, pure-hearted, loving service. And another way to demonstrate that we're living as God wants is he says also a life of separation, keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Again, the obvious implication, learning to live in this dark world where there's constant opportunity to get defiled, to get engaged in practices that are unhealthy and not good. But we as Christians, because we love Christ, say, I want to live set apart, Lord. I'm going to live in this world, but I'm not going to live of this world because I'm going to obey your word even if people make fun of me in my school, even if people mock me at my job, even if my family says, oh, you're too strict. You know, when we were choosing to leave Calvary Chapel, York, where we were pastoring there for 13 years and you know, following the Lord's call to move here, and obviously there were some steps of faith involved and recognizing it was you know, kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a scary thing for how all that would work out for our family. We had a relative who actually said, said, said to my wife, your husband takes the Bible way too literally. I mean, he's risking your whole family's welfare. He's just a little, I mean, that's just a little too literal. God's going to provide. God's called me. Yeah, it's too, 
Yeah. As Christians, we're called to live different. We're not to become like the world. We are to live different and live out the Word of God with our marriages and our finances and our attitudes and our actions and our choices in a way that we live different from the world. That we don't become like the world, tainted with its ways, but that we shine as lights in the world. So the world says, what's different about you? Jesus said to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. So God help us to keep ourselves contaminated from the world, to live set apart lives, to walk in righteousness and obedience to the word of God so that we shine as lights in this world. And I would leave you with this thought this morning. Today, what is God asking you to do recently in response to his word? What's he been asking you? I ask you this, will you just say amen or are you going to act on it? And I tell you this morning, if we just say amen, it may make us feel spiritual. But if we act upon what God says to us, things will change. Would you pray with me?